0: Well, today is the first day of Christmas. In our gospel passage, which is from the second chapter of the gospel according to Matthew, we read of the Holy Family's flight into Egypt and then the eventual return to Nazareth. Now, based on how the gospel of Matthew is written, it is largely accepted that Matthew wrote for a primarily Jewish reader. Matthew makes significant usage of parallelism so that his readers will see stories that they are already familiar with being demonstrated in the life of Christ. Now, parallelism doesn't match stories perfectly. It's not a simple retelling. But what it does is shows connections and introduces small twists that tell the stories in a new light while allowing them to remain familiar. And this helps the reader that Matthew was writing to that Jewish reader see that Christianity is not replacing Judaism. Instead, when you see the parallels, you see that Christianity is the natural fulfillment of Judaism. We will look at some of those parallels this morning, but first, let's set the stage. The birth of Christ has occurred. Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem for the census are blessed with the birth of Jesus, who they know is the Son of God. Mary had received that word directly from the angel Gabriel, and Joseph received word from an angel in a dream. And each time Joseph gets communicated with, it's always in a dream, as we saw in that reading from Matthew. But now they are in Bethlehem, Jesus is born, the shepherds arrive, the wise men arrive, each to see this newborn king that has been revealed to them in one way or another in the heavens. For the shepherds, it was hearing the word directly from the announcing angel. and The wise men saw the regal star and it's now known, according to the best study of astronomy, that it's now known that it's Jupiter entering Aries, an astrological sign assigned to the Jews, and found there as one enters, it would have been assigned to those magi. They were the kind of a combination astrologer astronomer at the time, there wasn't a strong distinction that the regal star entering the sign of the people was a sign that a newborn king was about to be born. And with all of these amazing things going on, shepherds seeing angels, wise men traveling from another country based on what they had seen in the stars, adding to the already mind-altering personal experience of a virgin pregnancy and birth, the Bible tells us, In one of the other gospel accounts. That Mary pondered these things in her heart. I think that that's probably one of the greatest understatements ever uttered. It had to have been just an overwhelming filling of mind and soul and spirit. To have all those things happen in such a short sequence of time. And now... With that all in place, we begin to approach our text for today. The wise men, on their way to find the king, stop and see the provincial ruler who happens to be Herod. Now, of course, this makes sense. They're looking for a newborn king. It would make sense to go to the seat of power and government. Why not ask the local authorities and dignitaries, where would this newborn king be? Herod, though, does not know what's going on and he's quickly unsettled by the news and he calls his advisors and he asks about any future king of the Jews and these scribes and the chief priests explain that the Messiah is foretold to be born in Bethlehem and I want to make a quick side note for those that aren't aware the name Bethlehem means house of bread the house of bread being the birthplace of the bread of life the bread of life which we must eat once born was laid in a feed trough, a manger for beasts. We who are degraded from the pinnacle of God the Father's creation that we were supposed to be perfect but through sin went from being that near, that perfection to being only slightly above the beast's are now finding the bread of life born in the house of bread and the feed trough for beasts so that beasts can once again be made the children of God. And as I said last week, unlike the common saying, it's not the devil that's in the details, it's God that's in the details when you see all those pieces click together. Well, we turn back to Herod and Herod Hearing this word from the wise men, the Magi, that there's going to be this newborn king of the Jews, that unsettles him. He is concerned about his own throne. And he tells the wise men to go on to Bethlehem and tells them, When you find the child, you come back and you tell me. The wise men do continue on to Bethlehem. It's only six miles away from Jerusalem. That's an hour and a half walk for the Roman soldiers who served Herod. And they find the newborn Jesus with Mary and Joseph. They give their gifts. They bow down and worship Jesus. And then, warned in a dream, they go back to their home country, detouring around Jerusalem in order to avoid Herod. The population of Bethlehem at the time of the birth of Jesus is most frequently estimated 300 people. The very highest estimate is 1,000 people. Once arriving in the town of Bethlehem, it would not have taken very long to track down who the parents of a newborn baby were. I point that out because some people will try to claim that at the point of the Magi's arrival, Jesus was already a couple of years old. The argumentation for that theory is faulty. If you're interested in the details, we can discuss it later. All reasonable study and expectation, Jesus was still an infant at the time the Magi arrived. The Magi stay for a few days, maybe a bit longer, and then must return to their home country. But being warned in that dream, they take that detour around Jerusalem, avoiding Herod. Within short order, Herod realizes that the Magi are not coming back and order his soldiers to Bethlehem an hour and a half away with the command to kill all the babies. And now we're at the start of our Gospel passage for today. The angel appears to Joseph in a dream and warns him to take Mary and Jesus and flee from Bethlehem to Egypt. The Roman soldiers are on the march, meaning they have less than an hour and a half Joseph gets up now grabs Mary grabs Joseph grab excuse me grabs Mary grabs Jesus and as quickly as he can makes haste to get to Egypt in the middle of the night he wakes from the dream and they get out of there as absolutely fast as they can and this is our first parallelism Moses was to be killed along with the other Jewish male babies because the Pharaoh was afraid of the defenseless. What might they become if allowed to live? How will they change the life I live if they are allowed to live? What threat are they to me in my way of doing things if they are allowed to live? In the fear... Of the defenseless, the Pharaoh ordered all the male babies killed. In fear of the defenseless, Herod ordered all the male babies killed. The Romans, at Herod's command, do indeed enter into Bethlehem and kill all the babies, but Jesus, with Mary and Joseph having been warned, are safe in Egypt. They are, at least temporarily, What we would call today externally displaced persons, more commonly known as refugees. They remain in Egypt until another angel comes to Joseph in a dream and tells him that Herod has died. It's safe to return to Israel. And this is where we have another parallel. Moses was called out of Egypt to deliver God's people. And Jesus is called out of Egypt to deliver God's people If we follow these parallels further into the Bible stories of both Moses and Jesus, we would see that Moses actually remained at risk and Jesus remained at risk. Even though neither was a threat in and of himself. They were, as compared to Pharaoh's army or the army of Rome, defenseless men. And yet the powers at hand wanted them destroyed. This simple fact reveals a huge truth. They, as individual men, were defenseless. But God is dangerous. God is dangerous not to your body and most certainly not to your soul. Indeed, His purpose is to save your soul. God is dangerous to your self-will, your personal preferences, your ability to promote self first and above others. God has standards for our lives and expectations for us to live our lives for Him, not for ourselves. That simple fact will turn your life upside down and will change all of your priorities. That will make you look at all people of the world through the eyes of a crucified Christ instead of looking at yourself with the eyes of the world. And all of these can be scary things. So we are each tempted, and who often do, stop our ears to and harden our hearts against the will of God. Because when we do not see Jesus standing here next to us, we can, rather than allow our lives to change, close our Bibles and stop our prayers. Jesus in this regard is still defenseless. He will not overpower our ability to reject Him. So in our actions, we do what Herod tried to accomplish. We kill the influence of Jesus in our lives rather than allow Him to change our lives. So I plead with all who are listening, be the voice that calls Jesus home to live in your life and live your life for Him. Amen.